All right, so last month we did a series, our, our vision month, and we were talking about a number of things that were important to our, to our church. And so coming out of that vision month, we are starting this new series called Rebuilding. And this series is going to be seven weeks. It's going to take us till near the end of uh, November into our Christmas series. And what I, I would like to share with you uh, in, in a number of different ways throughout the series is just a desire to completely reset and rebuild. We have come through, for the last couple of years, probably the most unique season that any one of us had never thought that we would ever go through. The world would have never predicted this would have happened, but we have all come through a season in our lives that uh, maybe others that we have known have never gone through, parents or maybe sometimes even grandparents. We've come through a season of COVID where there's been mass isolation, there's been loneliness, there's the effects of what has happened over the last couple of years will be studied for years to come. The effects of, uh, that have happened uh, to seniors and that have happened to newborn children and that have happened to families and to relationships will be things that you know, uh, sociologists will study for years and years to come. We have come through a very, very unique season. And my desire for our church as we are hopefully coming out of that season and into a new season is that we take time, not just today, not just in this series, but actually for the whole rest of this ministry year to completely reset. We're going to do this series on Ezra and Nehemiah, two books in the Old Testament. There was actually originally one book. Later on, it ended up being split into two different books. But originally, it was just one book. And we're going to go through that. And after we finish that series, we are going to go into a series on... Now brace yourself for this, okay? Please nobody walk out as soon as I say this. Are you ready? You want to hold on to your seat? We are going to do a whole series from December all the way till June on Jesus. Okay? So, because our, our desire is we're going to do a complete reset. We're just going to go back to the basics of what it is to be a follower of Jesus what it is to be like Jesus. And so we're going to go back to the teachings of Jesus, to the miracles of Jesus, uh, to the experiences of Jesus. We're going to look at, at what the Christian faith is all about through the life of Jesus, because God's called us to be followers of Jesus. And so this whole next ministry year, from now till, till June, we want to just reset. Can I ask you, if in these last two years, you felt like you've gotten more distant from the Lord? Can I ask you that if in these last two years, maybe some of the spiritual disciplines that you were used to doing before you stopped doing? Maybe you feel a little bit more lonely now than when you, what you felt before? Maybe you don't feel as close to Jesus as you would wish or desire? Maybe you're feeling today that Jesus seems far away and I'm over here. I, I used to do this and I used to do that, but now I don't do that anymore. COVID's really done a lot of different things. I used to pray with my family, but now I don't. I used to get up and read the Bible and now I don't. I used to pray before I went to bed and now I don't. Can I ask you, can I challenge you, can I invite you 
on a journey for the next year. To journey together as a church family to reset our lives as followers of Jesus. Can you join me with that? I know there are things in my life that have gone by the wayside that I know the Lord is challenging me and asking me to put back into my life. Can I ask you, maybe you've gotten busy with work. Maybe you've gotten busy with school. Maybe you've gotten busy with other things in your life. And you realize that you haven't put Jesus in the first place. As Dennis challenged us as well uh, before he prayed, is Jesus really better than everything else in your life? Can you journey with us? Can you journey in this, in this season of rebuilding, revitalization, resetting, renewal, and revival? It's going gonna, it's gonna to take some work, right? You see all the construction stuff on here? It's going to take some work. It's going to be a little bit difficult. It's going to be a little bit convicting. It's going to require some repentance. It's going to require some acknowledgement of the state that we're in. It's going to require some turning to Jesus. <laughs> but it's going to be a whole lot of love and a whole lot of hope and a whole lot of joy, a whole lot of peace and a whole lot of renewal that will be amazing and wonderful. Okay. I'm going to ask. Can I get a little show of hands? Are you, are you in for the journey? Are you in for the journey? Yes? Can we journey together? We'll, we'll be doing some different things. We're going to do some Bible reading together. We're going to be doing some other things throughout the year. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. But I just want to invite you to come back. Come back to prayer. Come back to reading the Word of God. Come back to joining a life group. Do community together. Come back to the spiritual disciplines that you know that are tried and true and that have worked for you in the past and maybe you're not doing that now? Can I invite you to come back to serve? Serve with your brothers and sisters in the family of faith. Can I invite you to make coming to Sunday worship a priority? Whether that's in person or whether that's online. But the communal gathering together to worship the Lord. The lessons that we can learn in this book, Ezra and Nehemiah, and sometimes I'll refer to it as a book, because again, it was originally one book, Ezra and Nehemiah, is, is something that will help us because they were on a journey to rebuild and restore their city of Jerusalem and their kingdom of Israel. And there's so many beautiful lessons that we can learn. So uh, today I'm going to just sort of paint a broad overview of something that I think is really important, not just for this book, but actually for the story of our lives and the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus and the story of the Bible. And so I'm just going to paint that broad overview for you, for you uh, today. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into, uh, into this. Okay. Now, there's so much in, this, in these two books that we can't cover everything on a Sunday morning. So I'm hoping to do like another session, maybe on a Saturday or another day where we can just dive a little bit deeper into some of the very difficult passages in this book that sometimes we can't go into depth or cover on a Sunday morning. So, so stay tuned for that. 
So I'm just going to share with you uh, four things in sort of like a broad picture of these, uh, of these books that will help us maybe to understand a little bit more detail. Number one is that the Lord is a covenant keeper. This is something that's really important to understand in the, in the story of the whole Bible, is that God is a covenant keeper. God is a covenant keeping God, a covenant making God. Uh, as we look at the larger story of redemption, as we look at the larger story arc of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there's one thing that ties everything together, and that is redemption. The one thing that ties the whole story of the Bible together from Genesis all the way to Revelation is redemption. Okay, that's the number one story of the Bible. It's the number one story of Jesus. It's the number one story of our lives is that Jesus came to redeem us. And from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that story is written time and time and time and time again in various ways, in various forms through the lives of various people. We see the story of redemption and the story of redemption is beautifully illustrated through the covenants that God makes with his people. And we see a number of different covenants that God makes. Now, sometimes we don't like to hear that word covenant. In our society today, covenant is a little bit shunned because covenant means what? It means commitment. It means dedication. It means sacrifice. It means faithfulness. And so in our world, and our society today, the word covenant is often shunned. It's often put to aside because it takes some sacrifice. A, a covenant relationship is between two partners who make a, a promise to each other to reach a, a specific goal or a common goal. One of the beautiful things of, of the covenants that God makes, and we'll look at some of them, is that some of these covenants are pretty one-sided, where God says, I'll do this, I'll do this, and guess what, guys? You just get the blessing. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you love a covenant like that? No sacrifice on your part. Just get the blessing. Right? And some of these covenants are like that. Throughout the Bible, we see so many different covenants, but I'm going to focus on just four covenants because I think these four covenants tied together tell the beautiful story of redemption and particularly the fifth covenant that I'll talk about right at the end of this message. So please stay with me. Right? Don't let your mind wander into like, you know, lunch you know, and what I'm going to have afterwards and things. Stay with me as we try to tie this whole thing uh, together. And because we see this is, this is the beautiful story of the gospel weaved through all of these covenants, culminating in the amazing covenant that Jesus makes with us, which is called the new covenant. And today, hopefully you would have gotten some uh, communion elements as well. And those watching online, I'd ask you to prepare your communion elements too. We are going to celebrate what's called the Lord's table in remembrance of the death and resurrection of Jesus in uh, remembering his blood and his body sacrifice for us. These are the symbols of the new covenant that Jesus makes. And so if you, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, even before Ezra and Nehemiah, you see a covenant called the Noahic covenant, okay? And this was a covenant that God made with not just only Noah, but with all of his descendants, okay? Sin was rampant in the world at the time. God decided to send a flood across the world to wipe out all ungodliness, but to preserve Noah and his family, and after doing this, uh, I'm going to go a little bit quickly because I don't have enough time to go into all of the details of that. But in your life groups, I would encourage you to go into more detail about these covenants. And if you're not in a life group, we have life group questions that are out in the lobby. I would encourage you to pick up a copy. 
I would love for you to work through those questions in a group setting because I think community and working them out together in a group setting is one of the best things that you can do to dive deeper into God's word. But if you're not in a life group, I encourage you at least to take those questions and reflect on them and pray on them as well. And so after making, after the flood Uh, destroyed everyone in the world except for Noah and his family, God made a covenant with Noah. And this is what he said in Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 to 11. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will the flood waters kill all living creatures. Never again will the flood destroy the earth. So this was a covenant that God made with Noah and with his children, with his family, which basically was, do you know what? The whole world. This is God making a worldwide covenant. He symbolized it with a rainbow and said, I am making a covenant with you, Noah, and really with the whole world that I would never destroy the earth again by a flood. So this is a, a, a covenant that is really unconditional. There's nothing that Noah and his sons had to do. This was something God was giving very unconditionally. After this covenant with Noah, further along down the line, there's another covenant that's called the uh, uh, Abrahamic covenant. And this was a covenant that God made with Abraham, who is known as the father of faith. And he, now God goes from a covenant that he's making with the whole world Now to a subset of people. Now, this is important. The the Noahic covenant is with the whole world. But now God is making a covenant with a subset of people. And that's Abraham and his descendants. Okay? That's very unique now. God is now discarding some others and saying, Abraham and your descendants, I am making this covenant with you. And what does God tell Abraham? He says here in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Two significant things in this passage. Number one, this is not an unconditional covenant. If Abraham decided to say, forget this, this is too much for me. I want to stay in my house. I have all my luxuries here. I'm not going to go anywhere, God. What happens to the covenant? It doesn't take place. This is a conditional covenant, not like the Noahic covenant. Abraham had to take a step. Abraham had to take, make a sacrifice. And if he did, the Bible said, God tells Abraham, I am going to bless you. And the other significant thing is the last line here that says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This is actually a messianic prophecy speaking about Jesus. That Abraham, if you take the step of faith, if you obey me and leave your country and leave your land and go and do what I'm asking you to do, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I know you don't have any children right now, Abraham, but don't worry about that. We'll take care of that later on. I am going to bless you. And not only that, all of the nations of the world. Now, remember, he's going from, Abraham, this is just for you. Then he expands it back to the whole world. Okay, now this is significant when we get to the last covenant. So just tuck that away in the back of your mind. Okay, so he goes from the whole world Noahic covenant to to the Abrahamic covenant, which is very specific just to his descendants. But then he says in the covenant, he says, I am going to bless all the families of the world through your descendants, Abraham. 
And this is actually a messianic prophecy about Jesus. In other words, we get the privilege now because we're living thousands of years later after Abraham that we can look back and say, oh, that's really what he was talking about. And so when you look at this, you, you say, what God is telling Abraham is this. Abraham, Jesus, the son of God, is going to come through your lineage. And because of him, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. A few, uh, a few chapters later in, in Genesis chapter 17, there's another, uh, you can read uh, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, and Genesis chapter 17 all talk about this covenant. But here he says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. This is, this is the Abrahamic covenant. Now, after that, we come to another covenant called the Mosaic Covenant. Now this gets even narrower, okay? Now this covenant is not just for all the children of Abraham. This covenant is for the children of Israel, okay? And this covenant is a lot more strict, okay? So it gets even narrower now. So you you start off with this Noahic covenant, which is large and broad. You go to this uh, Abrahamic covenant, which is a little bit more narrower. And then you get to this Mosaic covenant, which is even narrower as well. And basically what he's saying here, again, this is a conditional covenant, right? Things get a little bit harder. God brings Israel out of Egypt, okay? And he, he brings them into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. The Lord appears to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai and makes a covenant with them by giving them something. Can someone tell me what it is? He gives them the Ten Commandments, right? He gives them the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of other laws to go with that. He makes it really difficult now because now there are all these other rules and regulations that they have to keep. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says it's a long chapter and it talks about the blessings and the curses of keeping the law. And the Lord says, if you, my people, children of Israel, keep this Mosaic covenant, I will bless you. Verses 1 to 14 of blessings. But if you don't keep this law, then a curse is going to come upon you. Verses 15 to 68. Right? 14 verses of blessings. And then 50 plus verses of curses, right? That's pretty tough, right? But he says in in, uh, Exodus chapter 15, he says, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. See, he's narrowing in. He's making this a very narrow covenant, right? You will be a special treasure from all the peoples of the earth for all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. See, this covenant was conditional. This covenant was narrow. This covenant, unfortunately, was broken time and time and time again by the children of Israel, particularly their lack of observing the Sabbath. And I highlight that for you again to just stuff that back in the back of your mind because we'll talk about something else. The last covenant I'm going to talk about in this part is the uh, Davidic covenant. And this is a covenant that God makes with David. So this is getting even narrower again. You start off with Noah, right? Big, broad covenant with the whole world. Then you get to Abraham and he makes it smaller. Then you get to Moses and he makes it just to the children of Israel. Then he makes another covenant with David that makes it even narrower. David, you and your descendants, 
right? He makes it even smaller, this covenant. David, as the king of Israel, desires, God blesses him and does so many wonderful things for him. And so David desires to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan the prophet says, okay, you go and do what you want to do, David. But then God gets a hold of Nathan and says, hold on, hold on. You better go back to David and say, no, I don't want you to build a house for me because, David, I am going to build a house for you. I am going to do something for you. And so David says in in 2 Samuel chapter 7, And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. This was also a, a conditional covenant that God made with David, that if his descendants would obey the word of the Lord, if his descendants would do what God was telling them to do, that there would be someone to reign and sit on the throne of David forever and ever. In verse 16, uh, he says, your house and your kingdom will continue before me of all time and your throne will be secure forever. This also is a messianic prophecy. Because the fulfillment of this is actually in Jesus, who is a descendant of David. And Jesus' throne will last forever and ever and ever. But this covenant, unfortunately, from David's descendants, their side was broken. On God's side, it wasn't broken. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. Do you remember point number one? God is a covenant-keeping God. And although David's descendants broke this covenant, God stayed true to his side of the covenant, okay? And so you you come to all of these covenants and they build one upon the other. And sometimes it's hard to understand, but hopefully when we get to the last covenant at the end of the message, there'll be some clarity to that. All of these covenants build upon each other until you come to the climax because there is one thing that is lacking in all of these covenants, Can you take a guess at what it is? The one thing that's lacking in all of these covenants. I gave you a clue when I told you about what we're going to talk about for this whole year. Jesus. Jesus. That's the one thing that's lacking in all of these covenants. In the covenant with Noah, how will humanity be redeemed and preserved? Okay, thank you, God, that you're not going to send a flood to destroy the whole earth. But how will humanity be redeemed? How will there be peace in the world? In in, in Abraham, how will all the families of the earth be blessed in your line, Abraham? How will that actually happen? Who's the missing piece? Well, it's Jesus. In the Mosaic Covenant, how can all of these laws and these commandments, how is it possible to keep these things? In man's own strength and in their own striving, it was impossible. They failed time and time again. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the secret. In the Davidic Covenant, how will the kingdom be established forever and ever and ever? It's not through a physical, uh, physical children of generations to come, No. It's through Jesus. The larger redemptive story that is written from Genesis to Revelation is the story always pointing to Jesus. Through Ezra and Nehemiah, this beautiful story weaving through, uh, together to talk about redemption and restoration, revival and renewal and rescue from enemies and all of these beautiful things that are happening in this book all point to Jesus. When you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in these weeks to come, read it with the lens of Jesus. See Jesus in these books. See See Jesus in the storyline. See Jesus in the covenants. See Jesus in the story of redemption that's being written so beautifully through all the pages of scripture. Number two, Israel disobeyed the Lord. 
Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. There was time and time again that Israel disobeyed the Lord. They made idols at Mount Sinai. They murmured and complained about food and water. They didn't defeat all of the enemies that they were supposed to. King after king led the children of Israel in disobedience, in idol worship, in straying from the one and true living God. There's so many verses in Exodus 13, Exodus 16, sorry, it talks about um, them murmuring and complaining. I won't read all of the verses, but it talks about them murmuring and complaining about, oh, I wish we had this food or that food. Look at why did we come into this, into this wilderness? In, in Exodus chapter 32, the Lord tells Moses to go down the mountain. Moses was in the mountain having this beautiful worship experience, and then 911 call, Moses, get down there. Because the people of Israel have built an idol and are, and, are, and are worshiping that idol. Here's a verse that you see time and time again. Right? This is just one example. Because there are so many kings that broke the heart of God and led the children of Israel in, a, in the wrong way. It says, he committed the same sins as his father before him, and he was not faithful to the Lord his God as his ancestor David had been. Time and time again, you see failure after failure, covenant breaking after covenant breaking. You see sin after sin because people don't like rules and regulations. People don't like guidelines. And we're living in a world where that is not appreciated. That is not liked. That is, people don't want that. I want to do what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. Instead of living under the covering of the Lord, they said, no, I want to do what I want to do. Our son Joel that you hear at the back there, he's crawling all around right? He's wanting to do this and wanting to do that. So do you know what we had to, he's almost, this week he's going to be 10 months, and he's crawling all around, so we had to put up something. We had to put up some baby gates, right? <laughs> so there he is, right? And he's probably wondering, he's thinking, no, I want to go down there. But what do we have to do? We put limits. We put guidelines. We put restrictions, and that's what God puts on us. There was a time when the Apostle Paul was trying to travel and share the word of God. And Paul wanted to go to a specific country and said, I want to go and share the word of God there. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, no, Paul, don't go there. Not now. Paul wanted to do his own thing. Paul wanted to say, this is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. Let me go and share the gospel. The Holy Spirit said, no, don't go. Paul thankfully obeyed and didn't. See, sometimes the ways of the Lord we can't understand. And when God is a covenant-keeping God, makes a covenant with his people, it puts restrictions on us. It puts guidelines on us. It puts fences so that we can't go into places that we're not supposed to go to. Right? And so when we do go into those areas, which the children of Israel did, it's time to repent. And, and in, in the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra, we see this time and time again. Here's just a couple of verses. Nehemiah says, but our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Friends, can I ask you, as we come into this series of rebuilding, as we come into this year of resetting, as we come into this year of renewing, can I ask you for the first thing to do? So let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord.
Maybe we've crossed those boundaries. Maybe we've hopped those gates. Maybe we've broken those covenants and maybe we've disobeyed the Lord. Maybe in our pride we thought we knew what was right and didn't want to submit to the covering that was over us. Maybe in our pride and in our arrogance we said, I know what to do, don't tell me what to do. And that's what the children of Israel did. And they broke the heart of God and they broke the covenant of a covenant-keeping God. He said, but despite all of this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you and they committed terrible blasphemies. See, they, 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 they grieve the heart of God. Friends, are there things in our lives as we look back in these past two years particularly, have we strayed away from the good way of the Lord? Have we strayed from the good commandments of the Lord? Have we strayed away from uh, the things that God was telling us to do and we've tried to do our own will and have our own way? Friends, are there things in our life that need repentance? We read in 2 Kings, he talks about this. He says, I just summarized a few little things, but if you read through 2 Kings 17, it's just one thing after another. This disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshiped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God. The people of Israel had also secretly done many things that were not pleasing to the Lord their God. The people of Israel had done many evil things, arousing the Lord's anger. Yes, they worshiped idols, despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings. Friends, are there things that are in our lives that despite the repeated warnings of the Lord, we continue to do? Are there things in our life that we need to reset? Are there things in our life we need to repent of? Are there things in our life that we need to put right? One of the specific things that led to the children of Israel being taken into captivity And you might find this hard to believe. You might think, well, all of these terrible things, yeah, send them to captivity. Yes, this had a role to play. But one of the biggest things that sent the children of Israel into captivity, do you know what it was? They did not celebrate the Sabbath. They did not celebrate the Sabbath. Okay? So basically what happened is when the Lord sent the children of Israel into the promised land, he told them this. Work the land for six years. The seventh year, take a complete break. How many would like that? Vacation for one year? Take a complete break. I will bless you on the sixth year so that you have enough crops for the sixth year, for the seventh year, and hey, guess what? For the eighth year as well. Because you're going to have to start working again on the eighth year. But do you know what the children of Israel did? You know, the Jewish people, very smart, very intelligent. They're looking at it and say, okay, you want us to work for six years and then take a break for seven? Do you know how much, do you know how much income we're going to lose here? Do you know how much revenue we're going to lose if we don't work the seventh year? Forget this, I'm working the seventh year. And that's what they did. They didn't allow the land to rest in that seventh year. They didn't celebrate the Sabbath day, one day a week. They didn't celebrate the Sabbath year. In Leviticus, it says this, I will scatter you among the nations and bring, this is before they were taken into captivity, okay? Before they were taken into Babylon. I will scatter you among the nations and bring, you out, bring out my sword against you. Your land will become desolate and your cities will lie in ruins. Then at the last, the land will enjoy its neglected Sabbath years as it lies desolate while you are in exile in the land of your enemies. Then the land will finally rest and enjoy the Sabbaths it's missed. So what God did was he said, look, you guys are not going to celebrate the Sabbath. So guess what? I am going to send you into captivity and then the land is going to rest for 70 years. 
which represents about 490 years that they just kept working through because they were supposed to take a break once every seven years. Friends, are we like that as well? Are there things and guidelines and things that God has asked us to do and we just pass them over and you might think it's not a big deal. Well, we might think it's not a big deal if I, if I don't take a Sabbath day. It's not a big deal if I don't celebrate the Sabbath. We talked about the Sabbath a couple of years ago when we were going through the series on the Ten Commandments. But this was serious to the Lord, so much so that he, this, along with the other things as well, he sent them into captivity. So in Second Chronicles, it says, the few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. Jeremiah prophesied to the people and he said, look, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be taken into captivity and you're going to be there for 70 years. And while you're there for 70 years, the land is going to have its rest because you failed to keep the Sabbath. Number three, the Lord is a God of restoration. Despite our failures, despite the ways that we have grieved and hurt the Lord, he still remains a God of restoration. Despite the ways in which we have hurt God and disobeyed and rebelled against his covenant, God is asking us, repent, and he is a God of restoration. Turn to him, and he is a God of restoration. The title of the message today is An Invitation to Restoration. How many of you have seen this verse before? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. Have you seen that verse before? Have you prayed that verse before? Have you claimed that verse before? We do, we have. If you've been around church for any number of years, you've probably seen that. Maybe you have a bookmark with that. Maybe you have a magnet on your fridge with that. Maybe you have it sewn into your blanket. You know, I don't know. It's a good promise verse, but guess what? It's totally taken out of context, right? The context of this, if you read the previous verse, in Jeremiah 29 and verse 10, it says, this is what the Lord says. God was speaking to them while they were in captivity in Babylon. And he says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised, and I will bring you home again. And then you get to verse 11 that talks about, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future, etc., etc. Now, you know, the, verse 11 is one of those verses, if you take it out of context, it's still true because that's who Jesus is. But actually in context of what this is, he's talking about when they were in captivity. See, God stirred the hearts of heathen kings to send the people back to Jerusalem, to send the people back to Israel to rebuild. God stirred the hearts of heathen kings to fulfill this prophecy by Jeremiah that for 70 years they would be in captivity and then God would send them back to rebuild. And God sent Ezra to rebuild the altar and rebuild worship. God sent Ezra to bring a renewal of the word of God. God sent Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple that had, was fallen in ruins. God sent Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And friends, we are in this position right now where when we look at our lives and our families and our church and our, and, and our own personal life, are there things that are in ruins? Are there things that we know we need to repent of? Are there things that we know we need to put right? Are there things that we know we need to do? Because Jesus, instead of having the first place, has been shuffled down to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or all the way at the bottom. 
I got to do this and this and this and this. And then if I have time, I'll read my Bible. I got to do this and this and this and this. And then if I have time, I'll pray. I got to do this and this and this and this. And then if I have time, I'll come to a service. I got to do this and this and this and this. And then I can do my spiritual disciplines. You get the idea? And sometimes because of what we've gone through in the season of the pandemic, we have shifted God down lower and lower and lower. We have put Jesus in a lower and lower and lower position. We have not given him the priority and the position that he is due because God asks us to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything else will be added. And many times in our life, we try to add, 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 and then hope. Is there a little bit room for Jesus to come into there? It doesn't work that way. And so in this season, I am asking, I am pleading, I am entreating you, I am exhorting you as your pastor, I am exhorting you, come and let us return to the Lord. Come and let us return unto the Lord. And he will bind us and he will heal us. Come and let us return unto the Lord. Let us rebuild. Let us renew. Let us reset. Let us seek the Lord for revival. Daniel knew the prophecies of Jeremiah. And he said this, it was the first year of the reign of Darius, the Mede, the son of Asasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from the reading of the word of the Lord, as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Daniel the prophet, realizing the prophecies of Jeremiah, he says, look, the 70 years are coming to an end. I know that God is going to send his people back to Jerusalem. I know the spirit of God is going to move and work and help the people to rebuild. So I, Daniel, am going to pray and ask the Lord, with fasting and prayer, Lord, please make this happen. I am nowhere close to that, Daniel. But I, Daniel, asked the church at Unionville Alliance, can we together, as one family, as brothers and sisters in faith, can we turn to the Lord? Can we turn to the Lord? Can we unite our hearts together and collectively say, we have failed. We have sinned. We need Jesus. I ask you, I entreat you, I exhort you, because if we do, look at what he says in Jeremiah, a few verses down after he says that, he says this, in those days when you pray, I will listen, and if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found of you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I've sent you and will bring you home again to your land. Do we want God to do that work of restoration in our lives? Do we want God to do that work of restoration in our church? Because Jesus is inviting us to a season of restoration. 
I have no doubt that Jesus is inviting all of us. The question is how many of us will respond? Jesus said this in Matthew, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. When you look back at the covenants, you look back at the Noahic covenant, you say there was a covenant God promised not to destroy the world again by a flood. But look, we still see violence and war and evil in the world today. How, how is that covenant being fulfilled? If you look at the Abrahamic covenant, say that's great, but it was just for a subset of people. If you look at the Mosaic covenant, that's wonderful, God, but it was so difficult to keep the law. If you look at the Davidic covenant, that's great for David, but his sons rebelled and turned against the Lord. And so Jesus comes and brings what's called a, a new covenant. He is the key. He is the missing piece in all of this. This is why it's such a beautiful story from Genesis to Revelation. The beautiful story arc, the beautiful story of redemption, the key, the secret, the secret sauce, if you want to call it, is Jesus. He is the key in all of these covenants. He is the key in the new covenant as well. And so Jesus comes with his own blood and makes a new covenant with us. And that's what we're going to celebrate in a few moments as we partake of the Lord's table. In the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, can I give you a little spoiler alert? You might think, okay, all right, Daniel, we're starting this, we're starting this series on rebuilding, right? This is going to be great, and we're going to build, we're going to build, we're going to build, and at the end, we're going to have something amazing, right? Spoiler alert, the end of Nehemiah and Ezra ends in a complete downer. It doesn't end in a climax of something that's amazing, but it ends with unrealized hope. Because it foreshadows to what the amazing climax is. And that's Jesus in the new covenant. But guess what? We, get, we already know the ending of the story. We can fast forward. We already know the ending of the story. Unfortunately for Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and all the other leaders that lived at that time, they came at the end and they said, is all of my effort worth it? This is such a downer. Look at where we're at. But it was because of this covenant-keeping God fulfilled in the new covenant in Jesus. In the larger story arc of the Bible, you see this wonderful and amazing story coming to fruition. In their best attempts at restoration, they did a good job. And we're going to look at a few of those things as we study through this series. But the key element that was missing was Jesus. Jeremiah prophesied about it in this new covenant. He, Jeremiah prophesied a, a, a lot. He prophesied about the people coming back after 70 years, but he also realized that is not the end of the story. There's something more to come. And so he prophesies about this new covenant. And he says this, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. This is amazing. This is exciting. This is Jesus. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name, the Lord, our righteousness. This is Jesus. This is what Jeremiah is talking about. He's saying, look, all of these other things are happening and it didn't come to fruition. And there's a problem with this and a problem with that. There's a problem with this covenant and a problem with that covenant. But with the new covenant that God makes with his people, that new covenant is based and founded upon Jesus. That is our hope. 
And Jeremiah prophesies about this so beautifully. And he says this in chapter 31. He says, the day is coming, says the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them in their hearts. Oh, sorry. Here we go. I will write them in their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will, and I will never again remember their sins. Do you remember I told you about going from broad to narrow? Here's the beauty. We start with the Noahic covenant, and then it gets narrow with the Abrahamic covenant, and even narrow with the Mosaic covenant, and even narrow with the Davidic covenant. But when Jesus comes... He blows the doors wide open and he says, all shall know me from the least to the greatest. I will put my, my laws into their hearts and into their mind. He resets it back all the way. The beautiful story arc of redemption resets it back all the way to Noah and says, this is for everyone. You can read about it in Hebrews chapter eight. But Ezekiel says it this way. He says, I will give them a new heart and I will put my new spirit my, a, a new spirit in you. I will take out the stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. See, he, this, is, this is prophesying about the New Testament. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. The day of Pentecost when the, the spirit of God was poured out. I'm going to put my spirit within you. As the worship team comes, we're going to do communion first, Colin, and then we'll just go to the last song. But please come. As the worship team comes, and I ask you to prepare your communion elements as well. This, this Tuesday, this Tuesday evening till Wednesday evening is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. It's a day called Yom Kippur. It's known to us in the word of God as the day of atonement. The 10 days leading up to Yom Kippur, the Jewish people are supposed to reflect and examine their hearts and repent of their sins. And if they don't, then those sins will carry over into the next year. It starts with Rosh Hashanah, which is the start of the Jewish New Year, 10 days, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It was the day in the Old Testament where the high priest, only him, and only on one day in the year could walk into the most holy place to make atonement for the sins of the people and for his own sins as well. Friends, Jesus did that for us. As we prepare to partake of the Lord's table today, I'm going to invite uh, Winston and Mary just to come forward as they're going to pray for these elements as well. But as they come forward, can I just ask us to take a moment of quiet reflection and examine our hearts and our lives in light of God's word. And if there's areas and spaces in our life that we feel we have been taken into captivity, and if there's areas and spaces in our life that we feel like we need to repent, can we do that right now?
Let's humble ourselves and return to the Lord. As we remember the, the blood that Jesus shed for us, it is this new covenant that he makes where he'll forgive our sins and our iniquities and remember them no more. As we remember this new covenant that he makes that is the fulfillment of all of the other covenants put together, the climax of the covenants, because it's based on Jesus, it is fulfilled in Jesus. It is rooted in Jesus. And it is a work of Jesus.